Amen. Beautiful time of worship, guys. Thank you so much for leading us. Good morning. So glad you're here with us at South City Church. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors, and it is my privilege to be with you. I, I love being with my family on Sunday mornings, and uh, just glad you're with us today. Hope that you feel like family, that you're with us. Hey, we're in a series on prayer. Is there anything more that we need <laughs> than to learn how to connect with the Father? I mean, I, there may be nothing more important as a believer that we know uh, how to engage in, how to, how to grow in, how to learn uh, from and to learn about this thing called prayer. Last week we talked about the miracle that, that God incarnate, God in the flesh, designs a prayer for believers to pray back to him. Isn't that amazing? God says, this is how you ought to pray to me. And so we're studying uh, what many traditions call the Our Father. Uh, we call it the Lord's Prayer, but really it's a prayer of disciples. It's the prayer that God has given to us as his people, as his disciples, to speak back to him. And so we're kind of going through this uh, verse by verse really now as we look at all the different specifics of what it is this template of a prayer is. I don't think the Lord wants us to pray this prayer in just a rote fashion. I don't think he wants us to do anything in like a rote fashion, just mindlessly as robots. No. I think this is a template for us to look and see how good he is, how involved he is in every area of our, area of our lives, and how we can use this prayer to design our own concerns and our own requests and the things that are on our hearts and the things that, that we pray about around this template. I think that's kind of the reason he gave it to us the way he did. And today we're going to look at uh, Matthew 6, 10. Last week we, we started with the very first phrase of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? And wh why is that significant? Well, it's, it's, it's significant because, as, as Kim said, our, we are family. Jesus has brought us into this family. It, it's, he's our brother, he's our savior, and yet together we can say our Father. We are his adopted sons and daughters, and so he is our father. We are his children. And what a beautiful relationship between a father and his children, right? I, that's, uh, there's nothing like it in my life. I, I love being a daddy. It is one of the greatest things that God has ever given me as a gift to me. So we say our together. and We say father because of the work of Christ on the cross. We're now adopted sons and daughters. Then we say, in heaven, because God is holy. He's removed from us. He is, as the song said, creator, and we're created. There's a separation. He is worshipped in transcendence. Holy, 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 the angels cry out continually. And yet he is with us, and we pray that his name would be hallowed. That, yes, it would be holy, but that his renown, and that even in our lives right now, today, somehow his name would receive glory through us, through the world, through his work in the world. Those are the prayers that we pray. Today I want us to look at verse 10. If you have your Bibles, open it up to Matthew 6.10. And maybe you have this memorized already. Awesome. Great. I'd love for us to say this together again. I just love hearing the body of Christ say these words together. Let's say verse 10 together, can we? Your kingdom come... Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's say it again. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. Pray with me this morning. Father God, you are high and lifted up, exalted, glorious, holy, wonderful, perfect. And we are so grateful, God, that by your grace we've been invited into this family. We're so grateful, God, that today you're going to help us understand what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to obey the will of God? What it means, Lord, to, to understand that one day your will and your kingdom will be uh, continually here when you remake new heaven and a new earth. Oh God, how we long for those days. So I pray that by your spirit you would help us to see and understand your truth, that you would lead us to truth. And God, by your grace, that you would um, be exalted, that you would increase and I would decrease in this time, Lord. That you would help us to understand and move closer to what it means to usher in your kingdom and to be obedient to your will. That is our prayer and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Two points today. Two points. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come and your will be done, right? Your kingdom. Jesus is praying this revolutionary prayer that we would pray this revolutionary prayer as revolutionaries, right? That we would say, God, let the things of heaven, the kingdom of God be known here in this fallen and broken world. Let, let the kingdom break through the ugliness of this place and the ugliness of this place. And let us see flashes of your glory and kingdom made real here. And let your will be done. It's done in heaven nonstop. Let it be done here. And one day it will be done here nonstop. I want us to look first at your kingdom come. What is a kingdom? Well, it's the rule and reign of a king that consists of his people and his places. Graham Goldsworthy said that uh, years ago, and he gives some specifics about kind of what that has looked like in the story of God. Let me start with Adam and Eve, God's people, the Garden of Eden, God's place, right? And then we have uh, God's rule, they, they don't take fruit from the, these trees here, don't, don't do that. And his blessing, well, when they lived in, his, in obedience to him, they were blessed, they were loved, they were cared for, they were even loved and cared for in their disobedience, that's the grace and goodness of God we see even in the garden. Move forward a little bit more, we have Abraham, Sarah, and his family, God's people. And we see that they are, God's a God of promise, and he says, one day you'll have the promised land that's Canaan, that'll be God's place. And his rule was the law that was given through Moses for people to know, learn how to live with a holy God. And his blessing, he told Abraham, one day every family in every nation around the world will be blessed through you. Why? Because if you believe in Jesus, you'll be blessed. And Jesus comes through the line of Abraham. Right? We, we move forward to today. Those of us who are redeemed, those of us who know Jesus as our Savior, we are God's people. And everywhere God's people gather, today they're gathering all over the world just like this, as our, right, as family. That's God's place. 
and his rule is Christ's rule over our lives. And his blessing is that we are blessed by the new covenant of Jesus. That is his blessing. And we get to live in this rule and blessing of God. Jesus is our king. His kingdom is wherever he is, wherever his people are, living in his ways for his glory. And when we walk in his way, his kingdom is present. We, we actually see it. It's visible. Uh, Hugh Halter wrote a book called Tangible Kingdom. And that's exactly what it's about. It's the kingdom of God that you can touch and you can feel. You can see it with your eyes. And it may just be a flash, but you go, I just experienced something that is not of this fallen and broken place. It's of heaven. It's God's kingdom. Colossians 1:13, Paul says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Every one of us lived in darkness. Every one of us lived as sinners, right? And by God's grace and the work of Jesus on the cross, he has transferred us from darkness to light, from sinfulness to forgiveness and redemption, praise God. That is his kingdom. If you know Jesus, you are now a citizen of his kingdom. The word of God describes the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. In fact, the book of Matthew speaks mainly of the kingdom of heaven. And, and speaks about it quite a bit. Jesus never goes, okay, guys, here's the kingdom of heaven. Here's the definition. Right? He, he never does that. What he does instead is he tells tons of stories. And he goes, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And he tells a story and you kind of go, okay, I get that. Right? It's kind of this, he's shaping our hearts and our minds around how to describe the kingdom of heaven. I, I want to kind of go through these throughout the book of Matthew. Just, it's going to take a few minutes here, but I want to I show this to you. The first thing we see is John the Baptist in chapter 3 saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Chapter 5, Jesus says the same thing when he's preaching. Going around, and, and isn't it interesting? Jesus goes to every person, not just a few he selected. He tells every person he sees, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The thing we have to understand here is that God, in an appointed time, that only he knew, that only he could decide, said now is going to be the time for the Messiah. Now is the time of grace. Now is the time where people can be saved through Jesus. And so Jesus, this is why the angels at his birth say, glory to God in the highest, peace and goodwill to all men. Like you have no idea what just happened tonight. You can't, even, you can't even begin to understand in your mind or in your heart how good our God is that of all eternity in this night, he sent grace to you. He sent salvation to you in the form of a little baby. You'll never completely understand it, but glory to God in the highest. This is what we call the age or era of grace. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. That's what it says. There, even saying that is like there's an immediacy to make a decision today. The reason it says that is because there will be a day where you can't make that decision. And we will be outside of an era of grace. And we will 
begin an era of judgment. And Jesus will be righteous judge. So while we have an opportunity for grace, while we have an opportunity to accept Jesus the Messiah and do what he and John the Baptist preach, which is to repent, take that opportunity. Do you know Jesus? Have you received his grace? Has he changed your life? Because one day you won't have that opportunity and you will be judged by Jesus. And if you don't know him, you'll spend eternity in hell. That is the truth of the word of God. Today is the day of salvation. And so they say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's describe heaven. Can we describe the, the kingdom of heaven the kingdom, just, just for a few moments, I'm going to try to go through this quickly. Matthew 3 and 4 says that heaven is a place of, of forgiveness of sin. It's a place of redemption. It's a place of belonging. Uh, it happens when we accept Jesus as our Savior. In fact, John says in John 3, 3, Jesus answered him, I'm talking to Nicodemus at the moment, right? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, unless you're born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is why Jesus is saying, repent. Give your heart. Be forgiven. Believe. Turn from your way and turn to God's way. Because unless you're born again, you will not see or be a part of the kingdom of God. Chapter 5, Jesus says that the kingdom of, of, of heaven is something that belongs to people who are poor in spirit. Have you ever been poor in spirit? Can I just admit to you the last two or three months, I've been poor in spirit in some ways. My friends know it. My wife know it, knows it. My, the elders know it. You're my family. You should know it. it. It happens, right? This is a part of life. This is a part of reality. And according to this text, heaven <laughs> looks like people like me who've been poor in spirit. A description of heaven is for the brokenhearted, poor in spirit. It also says in Matthew 5 that it's for a place where people have been persecuted for righteousness' sake. So heaven is, is a place for the broken, persecuted. It also says in chapter 5 that it's for a place where people who, are, who have actually obeyed God's commands, they don't just know them, they don't just say them, they actually do them. That's the kingdom of heaven. Chapter 5 also mentions, Jesus says, unless your righteousness is greater than that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. He says that, he says that and so what he says in chapter 5 is, I have not come to do away with the law, I've come to fulfill it. So the kingdom of heaven is, is full of people who have trusted Jesus' fulfillment of the law, Right? And as we've trusted his fulfillment of the law, because he lived it perfectly, we accept his righteousness, his perfect living over us. That is the gospel of Jesus. And that perfect life transferred to us gives us grace to know him. That's the gospel. Isn't that beautiful? So that is also an aspect of the kingdom of heaven. Chapter 13 has, is an amazing chapter. It has all these descriptors. Number, the first one says the kingdom of heaven is, is like a man who sows seeds. It's seeds of wheat. And, and, and then even though he, he's sowing these seeds of wheat, 
these tares, these, this chaff, these weeds, these thorns grow up among the wheat. And he says, don't worry about removing the wheat right now from the, from the chaff. Instead, God will do that in the end. What it says is heaven is like the man. Heaven is like the man who sows the seeds. And I just kept thinking, every week we try to preach God's word to you. There are people, maybe in this room right now, who don't know Jesus as their Savior. But every week we're going to preach the gospel to you. As people who know him are called by his grace to be ambassadors with a message of reconciliation, don't stop giving the message of the gospel of Jesus. Don't ever let it stop. Every day, in our families, in our homes, in our work, in our city groups, wherever we are, we're going to give this message, be faithful to continue to give it, even though there's people who don't get it, people who will criticize it. It's not up to us to make that judgment. We just be, we're just to be faithful in the giving of the gospel. It also says it's like a tree whose seed is small but grows to be huge. He's talking about a mustard seed. Later he says that that's like our faith, right? Like the kingdom is a, is a place where you can have just a little bit of faith, but it can move mountains. You have just a little tiny bit of faith, but it's huge, like the biggest tree. That's something like the kingdom. He also says the heaven, uh, kingdom of heaven is, is like leaven in a mixture of flour. It doesn't take long for that leaven to affect all of the flour. When the kingdom of heaven is working through your heart and through your life, people will notice. Neighbors will notice. When you're living in such a way that the kingdom is evident, it's tangible in your family and in your life, people will see it. It'll be like leaven. It's so attractive. It's so addictive because there's nothing in the world like it. The kingdom of heaven. I love the story that Jesus says in this chapter about a man who finds a treasure hidden in a field. And he says that the treasure in the field is, is, kind of blows his mind. And so what does he do? He goes and sells all that he has so that he can buy that field. And by buying that field, get the what? Treasure. See, the kingdom of heaven is like a people who go, you know what? The most important thing in my life is the treasure of Jesus. That's the most important thing. Nothing else matters like the treasure of Jesus. I'll sell out. I'll sell out. My family may not see it. My coworkers, my net, whatever. But this is so great. I will sell out so that I can just have this. This is enough. Jesus says that's a description of the kingdom. It also says there's like somebody who searches for things of value or somebody who searches also for things of diversity, values diversity. Chapter 18 says the kingdom of heaven um, involves humility. I love these, these descriptors. And all through stories, the kingdom of heaven is described with, uh, in 18 as having humility, people of humility, having a childlike faith. And that there being justice, justice is present. I love that. Chapter 20 says it's like a person who is gracious and generous. You begin to get these descriptors and begin to get a picture in our heart and our mind of what the kingdom of heaven is. What it's like. What are the things that matter? So we can begin to see it and recognize it. 
chapter 22 says it's like a king who avenges the wrong. It's like a king who carries out a vengeance against those who've done wrong. So there's a justice element there. But not only is this king avenge wrong, but he also has compassion on the marginalized. He also accepts people, but exclusively. Hear my heart in this. This king, the, the, the story tells about in Matthew 22, he says, you have to have the right clothing to come to this party. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, in my kingdom, you have to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ alone. You can't bring your righteousness to this party. You won't get into this party with your righteousness. Well, I've done this. Isn't that what Jesus said? Lord, didn't, didn't I uh, serve people? Didn't we do these things? Didn't, didn't I do enough? And Jesus says, away from you, I, I never knew you. You can't come to this party called heaven, called the kingdom of heaven, unless you're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And he gives an example of that in this story. And then lastly, in chapter 25, he says the kingdom of heaven is like a bride waiting for her bridegroom. And she's ready. And she's not just ready, she's prepared. And she's watching. He says, this is like the kingdom of heaven. And so I would ask us today, are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you watching and waiting for the bridegroom? Because he's close. Don't get distracted. Don't put your faith in the things that matter most about the treasure of Jesus, second, third, fourth. He can only be first. Lord of all. Let's be ready and waiting. That's what the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like. We get glimpses of the kingdom throughout the uh, Gospels, I think, that are just beautiful. Um, of course, when Jesus, the Bible describes his life, his way with people, uh, there's a new te- you know, the television show, The Chosen, I think is a, is a special uh, presentation because it kind of gives a sense of maybe what Jesus' heart was like or attitude was like, and it's just interesting to see it with our own eyes. But every time the Bible describes a miracle, Right? Can you imagine when Jesus healed somebody? Just what happened? What happened on their face, in their heart? What happened to a community? That was an element of the kingdom of God. When Jesus exercised a demon and gave liberty to a captive, that's a little taste of the kingdom. When Jesus fed people, cared for people, made people feel apart, not shamed, but loved, That's an element of the kingdom. Jesus tells us the story of the Good Samaritan. I I love the story of the Good Samaritan because it is countercultural. They weren't expecting this story. Jesus tells a bunch of Jews about some mistakes that some Jews have made. (laughs) Huh? Yeah, there's there's a man on the street and he's he's busted up. He's been beaten and robbed and left for dead, bloodied and bruised. And the first Jew walks up and says, nope, no, sir. The second Jew sees him, nope, no thanks. It's the Samaritan who Jews hated. They were completely, unbelievably prejudiced against Samaritans. It was the Samaritan that had the heart of God. 
It was a Samaritan that said, I'm going to bring part of the kingdom of God right here, right now by caring for this man. Binding his wounds. Mending his, his situation here. Bringing whatever finances I can to help heal him. For however long it takes for him to heal. I mean, going above and beyond. That is the kingdom of heaven. It's countercultural. It doesn't look like what you might think it looks like based on all the things that we see all the time. It goes against racism. It goes against classism. It goes against elitism. It shows us that when we live as kingdom people, when we live as kingdom people, we're going to follow Christ's rule. Not a family rule. Not an American rule. Not a neighborhood rule. Jesus' rule. It's going to be more important than any other thing in our lives. We also see glimpses of the kingdom right now. One of my favorite things to do, I did it this week because I knew I'd be talking to you about it. Have you ever seen those videos on social media and online where a child or somebody gets a cochlear ear implant? Have you seen those? If you haven't, you've got to go to YouTube at some point, not right now, uh, and, and put in cochlear ear implant. It's a technology that they've, they've, they've created that is amazing because it allows people who are deaf in some, some sense to be able to hear. They do a surgery and they can put this thing in sort of like a hearing aid and they turn it on and people who've never heard anything all of a sudden go, <gasps> they hear their mother's voice. These babies, these children, their, their eyes light up. Adults begin to just weep. They're speechless. They're hearing their spouse's voice for the first time. Or have you seen maybe a similar thing is, is people who are colorblind and they put those colorblind glasses on them and now all of a sudden they can see in color and they can't even speak. They're speechless and they just start to weep. I saw the other day on social media a story of a man. He looked like a good country boy. Tough. Tough guy. And his wife comes up to him, she's filming him. She says, honey, I got you something. He says, oh, yeah? She said, yeah, I found some of your family. He was an orphan. And Mr. Tough Guy goes, you did what? She says, I found your family. And this big country boy just begins to weep. Because in one moment he had no family. And all of a sudden he's hearing of brothers and sisters, and she said, they want to meet you. He can't even speak. He just begins to weep, and through his tears he says, I have a family. I have a family. Those are little glimpses of the kingdom of heaven that we can see now. And it just makes me think about all the miracles of Jesus. We get to see similar reactions to maybe what he saw through people. We talked about this word before, shalom. Shalom is Hebrew for peace, but it's not just Shalom, peace. I hope you have a good day. I hope there's no drama today. That's, it's so much more than that. Shalom means completion, not just peace. Completion of every area of your life, in your finances, in your faith, in your relationships, in your dreams, in every aspect of who you are, may there be completion and joy and perfection. Shalom is the kingdom of heaven. We see little moments of it. It looks like healing. It looks like wholeness. It looks like joy. It looks like family. It looks like celebration. Some of you today will go and have lunch with your family. 
and you'll hear sweet noises like that. And you'll look at one another and you'll feel so in love that God has given you the grace of each other. And you'll eat good food and it'll taste so good and your drink will taste so good and enjoy that celebration because all of that resembles the kingdom of heaven in his goodness and shalom. Drink it in. Breathe it in. Friends, the kingdom of heaven is about serving people in need. It's about forgiving people who've wronged us. I've told this story before. It still blows my mind. I absolutely love it. A while back, there was a a gentleman in, in Dallas area who was sitting in his apartment, and a police officer broke in and shot him in his own apartment, killed him. Horrible situation. White police officer kills a black man. Of course, she says, accident, but they put her in prison. Horrible situation. The brother of the man who was shot, his name was Brant Jean, sitting on uh, the stool there in the courtroom. And I, I took this, we, I grabbed this picture off the internet. I want you to see it if we have that. We don't have the picture, perfect. <laughs> um, well, there's a picture of Brant Jean, and it shows him as he turns to the, to the judge and he says, he says, Judge, can I just speak directly to, to, the, to the lady? He said, yeah. He tells her in that moment, he says, if you are sorry for what you've done, I forgive you. But you need to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin. And then he turns to the, to the judge and says, Judge, can I give her a hug? And the judge says, yes. And the picture is Brant hugging this woman, and them just embraced. It is a picture of the kingdom of heaven. What Brandt did in that moment is not a human thing. It's not a fallen nature thing. It's a kingdom of heaven thing. And in that moment, in that courtroom, he brought the kingdom of heaven into that courtroom. In that picture, it shows a piece of the kingdom of heaven. It's beautiful. When we obey Jesus, when we live for him, when we move our agenda out of the way and and other kingdoms of our lives out of the way, we begin to see the kingdom come in us and all around us. Every act of obedience, every redemptive action and good work we talked about in Ephesians 2 is ushering in the kingdom of heaven. Kingdoms also have armies. We talked about this in Ephesians 6 when we looked at the armor of God. In Ephesians 6, talks about, you know, all these different things, the shield of faith, uh, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the sword of the spirit, all these things. We are God's army. Not in the sense that we want to hurt people. No, that's not. If, if that's what you think, then you've missed it, right? We, we are God's army. We, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and authorities in the spiritual realm. We are his army, and every king has an army. Just recently, we... Uh, Reflected on June 6th of D-Day. I love history. Every year that comes around and it just is a reminder of the unbelievable bravery of those men who died on that beach. And I'm just thinking, I started thinking about them and, and the fact that, you know, sometimes as Christians, we need to begin to understand and think like we are soldiers behind enemy lines. Have you ever thought that way? Have you ever woke up in the morning, woken up in the morning and go, okay. Soldier behind enemy lines. What do I need to do? How do I need to live? How do I need to make an impact? What mission am I on? 
Because that's who we're called to be. One theologian said that the church is the church militant, but one day will be the church triumphant. See the guys in World War II who went into that beach, and then they go into Germany, and they begin to liberate these poor people in these concentration camps, and they begin to care for them. They begin to feed them. They begin to see them healed. That is the kingdom of heaven. That's not the American way. That's God's way. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of the kingdom. You know, I think somebody said this before, but I think it's important to look at. Often the church looks more like a cruise ship than a warship. You ever been on a cruise? (laughs) You can get anything you want on a cruise. Taco bar, pizza bar. For big boys like me, we just go, thank you, Lord. It seems like heaven. I can do whatever I want, eat whatever I want. It's just, you know, it's great. But that's not the church. And how many times we come into the church and we go, well, that's not what I want, and that's not who I want, and this is not this, and that's not that. I think I'll, I think I'll eject. I think I'll move along. Because it doesn't quite meet my needs. That is not the church of Jesus. The church ought to look more like a warship where we come to each other and go, where can I serve? Because I'm on this mission with you. I'll give my life to serve this mission. Where can I serve? Where can I get involved? That's what we ought to look like. That's who we ought to be. When Jesus says, your kingdom come, he's saying let your rule and reign, the reign of our King Jesus, be present here in us, through us, and all around us. That's what he's saying. May we live in that way, in those good works, counterculturally, as we love and serve and care and fight for and bring healing and hope to. That's the kingdom of God that we pray for. As a people of the kingdom, we are citizens of heaven, Paul says. Philippians 3.20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. As citizens of heaven, may our homes be embassies. You know what an embassy is? If you go to the embassy in London, the, the American embassy in London, or Dubai, or, or, or Israel, and you step on the ground of that embassy, they say you're on American soil. Isn't that interesting? Your home can be an embassy of the kingdom of heaven. And when people come in, they go, this place feels different. Yeah, it is. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. The Bible calls believers in Jesus ambassadors, right? We're ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. That's who we are. And when we pray this prayer, we're identifying with this family, our, and this father, And this kingdom of his, we're praying this subversive prayer that there be nothing above God's kingdom in our lives, in his agenda, in our world. Al Mohler says, it is for those who hold firmly that Jesus Christ has inaugurated a kingdom, has risen from the dead, reigns at the right hand of God, and is coming again to judge the living and the dead. The Lord's prayer is for revolutionaries, for men and women who want to see the kingdoms of this world give way to the kingdom of our Lord. So we have to understand something about God's kingdom coming and his will being done. They're both an aspect of the now and the not yet. We get little flashes of God's kingdom and God's will now, but we're going to get so much more in eternity 
It's the now and the not yet. It's the same for God's will as well. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done. What does that mean? For a few minutes, let's look at that. Jesus not only designed this prayer as he writes this prayer, but he also models it. Look at what's happening in the Garden of Gethsemane as he shows us what this is so we can follow it. Matthew 26, 39, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. It's not about me, God. It's not about what I want. It's not about my desires. It's not about the things that that I've dreamed of, God. It's all about you. I lay my life down. Jesus gives us this model, this example of what it means for your will to be done. There's two types of God's will that I want to show you. Number one is his sovereign will. Nothing we can do about his sovereign will. He is going to have his way. Look at uh, Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. God is God. He said, my name is I am. We don't name him. He names himself. I am. He does what he pleases. That's his sovereign will. That's not what Jesus was praying for when he says, your will be done. Jesus is praying instead for his revealed will. His revealed will is God's word. It's about how we live. It's about the choice we make, the design of God for our lives. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Let us choose to live by your revealed will. Let us choose to walk in you, to obey it. And when Jesus prayed this prayer, not what I will, but what you will, he's going before us. He's showing us this is what it means. This is what it looks like. It's not just a prayer. It's an action where we put Jesus first and us second. Anybody else struggle with that? He's helping us pray this prayer. That every single person on the planet will glorify the Lord the same way the angels glorify the Lord in heaven. In heaven, obedience and God's will is the atmosphere. It's the air that you breathe. It is the culture of heaven. Obedience, God's will, it happens. And one day, one day, the Lord will remake heaven and earth, new heavens and new earth, and we will see God's will on the earth. What does it look like for you? Do you follow God's word? Do you obey his will? I want to give you this verse and then we're going to be done. Philippians 2.13 says this. It says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. I love this translation, this little verse, paraphrase. God is at work in you right now, helping you to want to do, to do his will. But not only giving you the want to, he's giving you the power to. To do what pleases him, what he wants, because that's his will. He's not left you alone to try and figure this out. How do I have, the, how do I have God's will? How do I obey? No, he's working. And he will be faithful to finish, to complete what he's begun in you, Philippians 1.6. So when we pray this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Friends, may we be a kingdom people. May we be citizens of heaven, soldiers behind enemy lines, 
Peter calls us strangers and aliens living in a foreign land. Let me ask you, do you feel like a stranger and an alien in a foreign land? If you don't, you might ought to pray about that. You don't want to, you don't want to mix into this world and look the same. You ought to be different. You ought to look different. You ought to make different choices. You ought to live by a different standard. You ought to have a different worldview that is a biblical worldview, not one that the rest of the world looks like. To be citizens of heaven. May we actively pursue ushering in the kingdom of God, the redemptive work of God all around us. May we be faithful as well to do his will. He's revealed it to us in his word, right? May we walk in it. May we be obedient to it. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for the way you love us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. But God, would you wake us up? Would you please wake us up to the reality that we are not to look like the rest of the world? And how easy it is for the values of this world to filter in to our lives and our decision making when you've told us in Romans 12 that we're to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to you, Lord. That when we do that, we're not to be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds, Lord. And when we do that, we'll be able to understand, we'll be able to test what is your will, what is good, what is pleasing, what is perfect and acceptable. God, as your people, may we see ourselves as world changers. And when we pray this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we understand we are soldiers behind enemy lines. We're praying for an army, for a kingdom to be lived out and ushered in. And for decisions to be made that honor you and bring the very presence of God to be visible to the people around us, that they, when they touch us, they're touching the kingdom of God, that they're seeing your way and your will lived out. That is our prayer. Make it real to us and give us the courage to live in this way where your will is paramount, ultimate, first in our lives, and everything about us, God, is secondary. And may that, that go into how we make decisions, how we live every single day. We love you. And we offer this time of worship to you, Jesus. Minister to our hearts, we pray in your precious and wonderful name. Amen.